0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Sanders gets it left side. Big room and a touchdown for Sanders. His second. Throws to oh. the end zone. Touchdown. Adam Thielen the catch throws on the middle, caught by the former Raven. Hayden Hurst
0: reaches for the goal line, in for the touchdown. End zone caught, touchdown. DJ Chark, the over the shoulder grab, and now Brady under pressure, and he's brought down back at the 27 yard line by Brian Burns. And it's picked JC Horn. Panthers have. Jeremy Chin, Bryce Young, off play action. Deep ball into the end zone. Oh, what a throw on the
1: money for the touchdown. All right, Panthers fans, this is where we determine the men from the boys. We're 0-3 right now. Who's going to take the deep dive with us and find out how to fix this team? We don't have all the answers, but we have some ideas. It's the Roar Podcast brought to you by Blue Wire. We are sponsored by Picks. I'm John Ellis. Billy Marshall's coming right up here, surely with some opinions. I know I've got a few of my own. But look, a lot to look forward to this week. you got the Minnesota Vikings coming to town. We'll look back at what happened on Sunday. Carolina close, but no cigar. Seattle pulls away in the second half. And the offensive line, let's talk a little more about this offensive line. What's the real problem? What's the problem with the running game? How can it be fixed? We don't have all the answers. but We have some ideas. We'll have some fun with you here for the next hour or so. Billy Marshall, John Ellis right here on Blue Wire. The Roar Podcast starts right now. I think we're used to this charade <laughs> by now
2: um yeah ever since we started this podcast in yeah. 2020 it's a lot of loser mondays um yeah. shows but uh but let's get into it man um th- this was a tough game just from the simple like i said last week you're traveling on a short week to the west coast and um uh, it- it's never going to be perfect Um, you know i think it was pretty striking i I wouldn't say it was striking it was kind of predictable that the defense would be gassed at the end again i I think this early in the year you know short week uh, west coast it's a lot of traveling um it's going to be tough on their bodies so i was not surprised to see the defense kind of fold in the second half Uh, i mean they played well in the first half they held uh, seattle to four field goals really stingy in the red zone uh, and they played well, but yeah, I just think second half fatigue really set in. It was pretty evident. Um they really didn't do a great job of getting off their block, stopping the run. I mean, I thought Kenneth Walker was outstanding for Seattle. Even yeah. the other guy, Charbonnet, was, you know, laying hit sticks on our safeties. That's um, our guy.
1: That's our guy to Sean Foster's guy from UCLA. Uh, yeah, he's, Charbonnet's he's a, beast, a fun man. one. Yep. Um, but yeah, John, and
2: then offensively, like it was certainly from a production standpoint better um but let's just i think we have enough data now to know that um you know the saints defense is obviously really good Uh, i mean even the packers i know they won yesterday but they were kind of shutting down you know that offense for like three and a half quarters so like yeah i think the saints defense definitely deserves its props and seattle's um, you know, defense is not certainly at the level of like the first two weeks, but what I noticed again in watching this game was that the, uh, you know, situation from a just wide receivers getting open standpoint and a schematic, you know, scheming open receivers, like certainly the DJ Chidi. I think they did a really good job. I think Seattle just busted a coverage there. Uh, but even that like it was pretty rare to see players schemed open and um, you know playing in that environment very loud crowd you're gonna have issues with the offensive line especially on the left side Zavala and Iquanu had very rough performances yeah not just with pre-snap penalties but just for overall execution Um, I mean Dalton was fine I don't think he played any more any less than my original expectations but I, I just think with the offense as a whole i I didn't really see anything that gave me kind of confidence as far as stuff have been changed like again dalton was still throwing into pretty tight windows um you know the production from a just a like from a production standpoint it was better but like i don't necessarily see it as a reflection of um, something that can be replicated, at least not yet. And again, I'm not trying to, you know, hate on them. I mean, they scored a garbage time touchdown at the end, which kind of, you know, certainly skews their performances. But overall, defense, like I said, they just were gassed at the end. They pre- played a pretty admirable performance. But, you know, when your offense isn't really giving you too much help, um, you know, that's going to happen. And offensively, I'm not calling it smoke and mirrors, but I, I do think that there was some um, smoke and mirrors to that performance.
1: Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there, and it's good to be back with you, Uh, win or lose. We've been doing this, like you said, since 2020, so uh, it's hard to measure which days are better and which days are worse. We just know right now this team operationally remains uh, a work in progress, and I really want to talk a little bit later on about the run game, because I think there's some misnomers out there about quality versus quantity, so we'll, we'll get to that, but no, look. I can't complain about anything here offensively too much. You get yourself in a position where look, you're still running into some situations even before the false start party happened, and we'll get to that in a minute, where the Panthers end up racking up, according to David Newton from ESPN, a uh, eight sacks, an eight-pack. Uh, sorry, eight false starts. It felt like eight sacks the past two weeks. Eight false starts, which is the most by a team since Chicago did that back in 2011. So there you go. They, Frank was furious after the game, uh, about as angry as you're going to see him. And not that that means much to anybody, but he pretty much said it's just it's ridiculous. And that's like a bad word for him because he doesn't cuss. So, yeah, I mean, Dalton, look, I, I thought from the get go. Um, and you can pick up on context clues from what Frank just said in his press conference. We just got done with that about 15 minutes ago. And a lot of questions came up about play calling, play design, lack of emphasis on the running game. Um, how did Andy play? Did, you know, and I, I thought personally, from what I could see live, and in my instincts coming into this game, just knowing that you had guys in that secondary with Kobe Bryant, uh, Rick Woolen, and others that were going to be out, um, I, I did not anticipate this was going to look anything like last year's game. It's a different staff, it's a different philosophy, and in no way, shape, or form are they interested in going back to the Ben McAdoo blueprint. to to replicate a game with a team that, look, has a lot of the same guys on defense, but you can't just expect to come right in like you did last year and control the clock and take the air out of the ball. I thought it was a pretty good game plan overall in terms of the idea. Let's get these guys out there in the passing game. Let's try to design a few new concepts that might work, and they did with the one to Chark. Again, to, to your point, let's not pretend this is the 85 Bears they're facing. Uh, it's the Seahawks, and they've got a lot of young players on the defense. They also have Bobby Wagner in the middle. Number 30
2: it, was pretty terrible for them.
1: They, yeah, they they had some guys there. That, his name Jackson, I think? Michael Jackson, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's bad, <laughs> pardon the pun. I'm sorry, Miss um, Jackson. <laughs> I was going with the Michael Jackson. He beat it, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> Dalton was 34-58, 361. I mean, look. I thought he did a good job. you're you, In that crowd, in that environment, you're having to orchestrate a lot of stuff at the line. But he's a veteran. He should be up for that challenge. I think it was refreshing to see after a couple of games of, what, 125, 30 yards passing, uh, maybe 80 yards coming into the fourth quarter, to see some production from your receiver core and your in your passing game in general, keeping in mind that the guy who's there to build the future around is on the sidelines. I got a hat tip to Andy Dalton here. I thought it was a good game. You know, again, I don't want to go wild with it, and I certainly don't want to drive any more narratives out there because he's not the full-time starter. He knows that. They know that. Bryce will probably set out one more game. We're not totally sure yet. He might be back this week, but I'd imagine, um, and I would actually do this myself, give him one more week to get right. Um, But, yeah, I thought there were a couple plays there, Billy, where in the passing game, You could see not separation necessarily, uh, but obviously some tight windows. And Thielen, I thought, for for a guy at his age right now, was really outstanding. Um, He can't get any faster. We talk about that all the time. No one gets faster in this world. But I thought he did a nice job of exploiting some things in that zone. He found some nice spots. And there's a difference, again, we talked with this a minute ago with Frank Reich in the press conference, the difference between facing what you and I have been talking about with Ryan Nielsen and then Dennis Allen, these uh different coverages you'll face versus what seattle presents and he mentioned thielen as a guy who was able to exploit some of that Uh, 13 yards per catch Uh, look we can call it whatever we want late in the game garbage time that that's totally fine i get it I, i just want to give a hat tip to him for the the bulk of that game he was very effective and obviously chark you know it's not efficient 11 targets uh only four of those were catches and there were some there that you, you've got yeah, to drop after. What was that? He had that long reception, and then immediately
2: he drops it. And then Dalton misses a wide open uh, Miles Sanders on the, you know, yeah. that drag route. That's going to go be a touchdown that, if he actually uh, does an accurate that,
1: That's why I'm and not. They gi-
2: don't inco- and then he missed a field goal.
1: That's why I'm not giving Dalton an A in this game. I mean, look, I big mean, people grade things out. I'm not doing no, it. I was referring to Chark because the inconsistency. Oh, Chark, yeah.
2: No, no. no catch and yeah. Then he drops that easy one.
1: No, that's a good point. No, it's it and it, it's it snowball. This is the story of this season. Uh, it really is. We, we, and it's typically how it is with bad teams. Dalton did have a few throws I'll just point this out early in the game that were a little bit off the mark, but I'm I'm not going to criticize him because they've got a couple of issues going on here. Number one, and I just got done looking at the tape just as we walked behind the mics here on the offensive side. I've barely gotten into the defense. But on the offensive side, um I mean, there's I, a couple of corners there that were running on Chark on some of these corner routes, and then there's just that one where Chark had it kind of in his hands on the corner, but the guy is draped on him, and there's just nothing there. And again, the only times you're really able to get production in terms of touchdowns is with Thielen late in the game, and credit to him for catching that ball. And with Chark, where they, they gave, Frank gave credit to Parks Frazier and Thomas Brown, among others, for designing that. And, you know, against a zone, you can bust things up there by holding a couple sticks and then running the corner off of that. And you're holding your corner shallow and you've got a stressed out safety back there. So that's encouraging. Um, Let's talk about what's not encouraging. Okay. in another week of this, uh, I I wanted to spend some time today looking at why is the running game not effective? Not not why they're not doing it more because it goes hand in hand. It's it's not that hard, Billy. Frank Reich, for his four full time years in Indy, on average was ranked nine point five out of thirty two teams in the league in rush attempts. It's not like the guy doesn't or can't or won't run the ball. But to Frank's defense here, and again, there's a lot going on that I don't like. I think he understood, even though the game was close early on. Just I'm looking at the blocking that's going on on the all twenty two, and that's what you can get with the tape. It's an absolute mess bill I, I talked to one of glad our glad scout- you're bringing this up go one, ahead one of our scouting friends that we talked to you and i the, the buddy from philly he he was talking to me about one play that i, I posted and he, he he sent me a text and he said what the he said what the hell is this and it was one that looked like it was an inside zone like had a baby with a <laughs> a pin pull he's like i've never seen that in my life what are they doing there's another one where they're running a, a fly motion with Chennault to the play side and I guess they're hoping to widen out the edge a little bit, but they never handed the Chenault anyway. So the, the weak side backer and the edge player are just like sitting there chilling in their gaps waiting. And it's Sanders running into garbage. The one good run Sanders had, and even Reich talked about this when he was going you know back and forth with Joe and Mike and the guys about the commitment to the running game, That the biggest run of the game, uh, one of the guards, I forget who it was, was immediately turned around and Sanders had to – somebody in a spin cycle five yards in the backfield just to get out of the gate and then it turned into about a 15 yard run that's it longest run was 15 uh they had 14 carries as a team 44 yards again I'm less concerned about the quantity down I was kind of on that last night I was big into the numbers you can't you can't survive by running it 10 12 times a game but after looking at the tape I, I don't know if I blame the play caller right now Frank Reich and I'm sure you know Thomas was in his ear he said that in the presser you know, hey, let's try run here, run there, and I don't think it was anything abrasive, but they can't block the run game, Bill. I, I I think they're actually safer in the pass game right now, with the exception of 62 Zavala, who needs a lot of refinement. Um, That's not to excuse anybody. I thought 79 had a bad day. Um, I mean, their pass protection wasn't that much better. I mean, you pointed out
2: they had six guys in protection on one play and five Seahawks and... Oh, Dalton no. got
1: hit like immediately. Make no mistake. This was a bad day for that offensive line. One of the worst I've seen. There were some Let moments... me ask you this. Go ahead. Because look, I, I know you
2: have a lot of respect for some of the coaches, but I've seen this offensive line regress. I know a lot of people like this coach, James Campman. I, I think it's, I don't know, man. Like I'm not calling for his job or anything, but it just seems pretty inexcusable for this line to be this bad
1: how much blame does he deserve well it you know yeah I mean look I I like the coaches don't get me wrong and I'm I'm there covering the team every other week or so and I talk to them and you get to know them I don't know James that well to be honest so no holds barred here Um, it's his unit they've got to be better I think it's tough when you come into this situation. And, I, and this is where I'm trying to give the entire staff, a staff that we all, at least most of us, I know I did, looked at and said, man, you got McCown in there. That's a great kid. And then Thomas Brown, that's a, a rising star. And to, to have Jim Caldwell there to help develop the quarterback and Parks Frazier, and and obviously he has a connection with Reich. And, and, and Reich, you know, for what you may think of him, I, I think Ben Johnson was high on my list. You talked about Steichen. There were guys that we had looked at maybe ahead of Reich, But when it came down to it, I think our attitude was, okay, this is a decent hire with a really good staff emerging. But with that, and this is something else that somebody around the league told me today, and this has kind of been on my mind, and I think I've talked about this a couple times, and it's foolish for me in the preseason not to maybe take a closer look at this. It's hard to throw this many people that don't know each other and haven't worked together into the mix. As one guy told me, part of the reason I didn't understand the Thomas Brown hire it had nothing to do with him or his ability it just didn't make sense to me schematically it reminds me of when peterson hired rich uh skag whatever his name is in kentucky it didn't make any sense and it clearly didn't work as uh, skagnerello i think his name is Yeah, you know the Skagnarello. guy yeah so there's some of that sentiment out there from a few people you talk to around the league that not that you could just throw this thing out and quit on it you know that's not feasible but campen has to get adapted and and up to speed and I, it, that's what OTAs and installs for. I get that. But when the light bulbs are flying, he's now running an entirely different offense from the way he's coaching his guys up. I, I'm also noticing too, like, I don't know what you think about this, but like last year would worked for them. There was just a lot of good zone blocking and they're not running a lot of that right now. They're, they're running a lot of everything. And I've been told that Reich's run concepts are really intricate and complicated. I, I don't, have anything to back that up or to negate that claim but I'll say this whatever's going on it's leading to a lot of operational issues and the players are regressing as a result of I think in a lot of ways because look they looked fine last year given what they were asked to do when you ask them to step up and pass protect not just 58 times but add on the scrambles add on the sacks that's 60 plus times you're in a pass set in a wet field with a lot of crowd noise i'm not shocked there's going to be eight false starts i'm not shocked there's going to be consistent pass protection issues so to to say that Campen is is the culprit here yeah he's got a hand in it it's his job to get these guys up to speed but i think you can't underestimate the fact that you've got all this coming together at once no matter how good the names are no matter how good the track rates are records are um it it's just, whereas maybe like Steichen and these guys, they're coming in and they have their guys with them. Things are a little more streamlined. I, I'm not sitting here having buyer's remorse. I still think very highly of this group. But the challenge is getting it all together on one page. And I don't think, two things, by the way, I don't think should be done midseason. And I've kind of just made my mind up on this, no matter how bad it gets. Number one, I don't give the play calling to anybody else midseason because I don't think it's fair to the other guy. Um, whether it's Thomas Brown or Parks Frazier, it'd be probably be Thomas. I, I I don't think that's the right timing for him or the team. Uh, number two, I don't fire anybody right now because you're three games into the season. There are some signs of life there on defense, and there are some signs of life now, offensively at least, for what they have. But the run blocking and the run execution, and look, Sanders is a good back, but he's if you're not going to get the most out of him uh, what did he have any targets yesterday in the passing game uh nine targets five catches okay so they tried that's why i thought the game by dalton was pretty damn impressive because the line was a mess the crowd was loud and he still completed almost 60% of his passes and went for 361 and and was was interception free and didn't fumble the ball so hats off to him but yeah there campin's got a lot of work to do it's if anybody can i think you know We'll see when Corbett gets back. I, I told Mike Kay today, you know, and I, I said this after the presser, I I almost think that Corbett is the most valuable person not on the field right now for the Panthers. Do
2: you, do you feel like, you know, we could – again, obviously, I think he's a quality player, but there's always, oh. like, a, um, you know, a feeling that when you're missing a player, you feel like he's, like, the solution to everything, right, when in reality right. – he's he'll certainly help but maybe the impact is a little overstated um you know i'm not sure like you know what the right term or phrase is but like that's kind of like my feeling on Corbett. like again i just want to be clear he's an improvement and he'll help but i feel like because he's currently injured and we're missing him and the line isn't playing well i think people are you know could be overstating his actual impact am i wrong
1: in thinking that no, I'll never say you're wrong. That's a philosophical consideration. I mean, and you know what? I'll say this. This dates back to the Marty Herney days. There was a, and again, I'm going way back, and it's just to make a point. The headline, I think, in the Observer or some paper was the missing ingredient or the missing piece, and it was when they showed Keyshawn Johnson staying beside Marty Herney getting signed. And it always reminds me, you're never one guy away. You never really are. I mean, in some cases, if he's a megastar like Micah Parsons or whatever. But in this case, no, I don't I don't assume that Corbett comes in and it's perfect because obviously some of the bigger issues are happening in, in Brady Christensen's absence. And it's a larger discussion to have about the entire line altogether. But Corbett of that group, I mean, look, we can grade these guys individually. This guy, Corbett, has been a part of world championship and playoff teams. He's consistently been one of the best, not only pass protectors, but run blockers, and least penalized guards for the amount of snaps he gives you. Um, he grades out well from the PFF folks, and then I look at the tape and and I can confirm that, hey, they got that one right because there's not a lot of bad stuff going on when he's in the game, whereas you see Throckmorton in there, and our guy Cade Mays is now on the bench, and, and Zavala in particular. Chandler's having a really hard time right now. He really is, and look, it's not helped by the fact that you you are thrust in there real quickly. There's this notion, though man, you get him in there and get him back beside Big Icky. Well, they're not running what they ran at NC State at all. It's the exact opposite. They're not putting these guys in the best position. So, yeah, to your point, when Corbett comes back, don't expect things to be totally better. But the drop-off between where he is, as I would say one of the top guards at that right position in the NFC, and I don't mean that in any sort of hyperbole way, I mean that from the film. You get him back in the mix you become a better unit and then you start to build your continuity back or maybe it doesn't matter maybe you're right maybe he comes back and maybe guys are still getting beat because the whole thing is out of um alignment with the new offense you know yeah no i I agree like again i want
2: to be clear in saying a couple things here first of all you know my expectations i want to get back to your point about dalton because i agree he played well but I expected him to play well because, you know, he's a veteran. Um, he played well last year in New Orleans under t- interesting circumstances. And, um, you know, he's faced, obviously, plenty of defenses and going on the road and facing a defense that, in my opinion, is not very good. Uh, especially, you know, the players that they were missing a secondary, that's uh, still going through a little bit of transition with uh, you know their star player being out their star safety um not being 100% healthy yet with Jamal yeah. Adams so um yeah Dalton played good football and certainly winning football but I expected that so I, I wasn't really surprised that's why I was a little um you know annoyed that Bryce couldn't play just so we could see him go up against a more um you know favorable defense in some aspects but let me get yeah, back to your point true. about uh the because again 100% agreed like he makes You know, it might not be like a. I don't think he's like Zach Martin, for instance. Like, he's not Quentin Nelson. I don't think he has that
1: type of impact. He's right below that shelf,
2: though. Yeah, he's good. He's good. He's a good NFL player. He's certainly not going into Canton anytime soon, with all due respect, but he's good. Uh, But let me just say a couple of things here. And this gets back to my point about coaching. Like, okay, you're missing this guy. You know, you're missing this guy. It's not like, you know, a situation where, you know, two plays into the game, he's, you know, leaving the lineup they've known this since camp he's we, we yeah exactly exactly it, my thing about coaching is like i'm seeing i look at the houston texans for example not having four out of five offensive linemen and they're protecting their quarterback very well and he's throwing all over the field and he's just looking exactly. like you know a, a superstar and for carolina it's not even them like Minnesota the past two weeks I know they've lost these games but from an offensive production standpoint they're missing players on their interior offensive line and Kirk Cousins has still played at a very high level in their passing offense so what I'm trying to get at here is is coaching doing enough not just maybe from a talent development standpoint but also from a schematic standpoint in helping the offensive lineman and drawing up plays where maybe the impact of the pressures aren't getting to the quarterback or run game as much and yeah yeah man
1: overall well, look look at what seattle did seattle had yeah, 80, they were missing eight, their two they had tackles eight, their oh, left no, tackle at, was terrible yesterday at one point in time billy 80 percent of their starting line was out when they had some in-game injuries and this is the second half well yeah they and, lost lewis i think exactly right? yeah, one of the the more steady guards if not great he's, he's steady for them. he's been a starter for two years now three i think so what did they do? They came out in the third quarter. And and this is where they got the 10 nothing advantage there. Carolina's leading at halftime of course, 13 to 12, and that's never safe. And I didn't feel great about that, but as this, uh, you know, program continues to build confidence it, to go into halftime on the road with a lead, that's fine. You'll take it. Um but but they come right out in that quarter and Gino was well insulated with some of the same concepts we saw Shane Waldron and company put out on tape before when they beat Detroit. Yeah.
2: Can and I ask died. you one question? Yeah, sure. You also felt like their tackles were not good yesterday, the Seattle tackles. And I know they were missing Lucas and Cross, but I they didn't play well, and they still produced. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. That's my whole point. It's the scheme. I th- well, Give the credit to the players, too, but they 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 got some movement going. They had some movement plays going with Geno, sort of the little half- rolls going on there and you had some counter plays off of that so in that second half you know starting in the third quarter they were able to to put together some nice drives Gina was seven of eight in that quarter for 104 yards they didn't run the ball with a lot of you know efficiency but they ran it eight times so they kept that balance going there and they had a couple of nice pops dj dallas popped off a 14 yard run in that quarter so it was highly effective they scored two possessions in that quarter Dalton ends up coming back down to earth a little bit seven to 14 in that quarter 50 percent and the Panthers and Reich talked about this day he, he somebody asked him point blank look what's it going to take to start running the ball more I didn't ask him that I, I that's not my concern with the running game my concern is the quality not the quantity and he said by the time we got around to the point in the game where it was two possessions from that point on it was going to be about a 35 to 40 play window that we had there uh, my my issue with that maybe is before that point. Speaking of which, you're in the third quarter now. Three runs for two yards. I, until I get a closer look at some of the the, the details in terms of <laughs> sequencing and 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 how everything else affected everything else. And you also have to remember that there's a lot of freedom given at the line by the quarterback. He was doing a lot of orchestration, so some of that's on him. But. Miles Sanders, Hubbard, and Chenault did not touch the ball but three times in that uh, third quarter. But more importantly, to your point, yeah, four of the five offensive linemen at one point or another were out in this game. They're missing their tackles, especially the left tackle cross, so you and I both like. And, you know, Burns had some good moments early. Louvu was knocked out of the game, and I thought that was pretty impactful. Um, but they got creative with misdirection. They got Geno on the move. And they ran some counterbalance off of that with the, the run game. And it gave Carolina fits in the second half. And it kept Geno clean. And it was everything for them. That third quarter was everything. It put the game away. By that point, Carolina, you know what that offensive line as much as I do. As much as Andy, and again, the only thing I'll say that Andy was exceptional with was given the fact that Zavala was getting turned around on every freaking drop back. The fact that they could not do anything in the run game. The fact that Andy was getting, you know, hit in the face with the helmet and getting like two steps into his drop, he's, you know, hitching and he's got somebody's hand in his face while he's trying to throw a corner route. Nobody's getting separation. But it all starts to me, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to prioritize the issues with Carolina's offense. It's it's the offensive line first and foremost. We knew this receiving core was going to be what it was gonna be. I don't even need this offensive line to be a top ten line. This is the worst offensive line right now collectively in terms of run blocking, scheming up, and it's coaching too. It's not just the players. The whole collective unit, I can't think of too many units playing worse than they are right now. I can't. And that that counts teams like Houston you just talked about because it goes hand in hand. The talent out there versus how are you utilizing the talent? This is a run first, power-based type of scheme-oriented line. The personnel fits that. Where did Bozeman come from? The Greg Roman offense. Where did Icky come from? NC State. Moten's been doing it here for a long time. And then you plug in two n- these kids. Morton's rotating with friggin' Mays, and that's a disaster. And Zavala needs more time. He's not ready. He is, I mean, he's almost single handedly costing them reps, and that's on coaching. So it's got to get better. And I, I, I want to say it's Campin's fault, but it really starts with Frank. Frank's in charge of it now. He's going to involve everybody, but there's no easy fix to this. So what you hope for is much like when maybe when Norwell and those guys came in in 2014. We didn't expect much from them. It was ugly early on. Give them a little more time. Maybe guys like Zavala improve. I like him as a prospect, but I don't think either one of us saw him playing left guard this soon during the season. If he did, it, it wasn't going to look like that. So they got to figure that out. These guys aren't that bad at what they do, but they're being put in some horrible positions. I don't mind passing it 58 times against Seattle. You're attacking their weak spot. I get it. Maybe 45 would be better. But you get down, you know, you got to keep passing. I, I don't know, Bill. It, there's no easy fix to it. You just got to keep getting better. But I think Corbett gives you one less question there. By no means does it fix everything. Where you look at like a J.C. Horn, a more isolated position out there, you can make the argument that's a bigger absence right now when you see a guy like Dante Jackson, who, by the way, has been very inconsistent. And once again, yes, say squatted down on... <laughs> Squatted down on one when you've got Kenneth Walker out wide. And yeah, that was so that was predictable. Terrible. They run the crosser and he sits on it. And it's a what? First and 25? First and, and it, 20, yeah. I mean, well, same, yeah. So, yeah, all of it was just so inconsistent. There's no complimentary football right now, Bill. And that's the most discouraging thing is when one side gets a little bit down, it's been the offense mostly. The defense tries their best. The closest thing we saw to it was the New Orleans game, I think. And it's going to be a tough time winning games like this they're, they're they're i can't i can't even think about wins or losses right now i just want to see the guys get better i can excuse the run defense kind of being leaky sure yeah yesterday
2: uh but yeah that dante jackson play that that's just really inexcusable and it's predictable too john that's just it, dude. like it's been he's been making that same mistake for f- over five years now it's
1: just Crazy! Oh, so they throw. It was a very well conceived play by Seattle, also to throw your your power back out there, out wide, and get him matched up, and kind of get him sleepy a little bit. Thinking, okay, you know what? That's Walker, but there comes that crosser. Maybe I'm losing sight. My instincts tell me it's not first and twenty. But I mean, what are they playing quarters there? Then they. I don't know what the coverage call was. I haven't seen the defensive tape yet. But just watching the the CBS broadcast, yeah, I knew right away that was just like, oh shit. So credit to them. I mean, Seattle still got some good minds on that offensive staff. They've got a a really good quarterback in Geno Smith. Um, The offensive line played well, and um, they schemed up better than Carolina did,
0: and that's becoming a theme. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data,
1: Hey, it's John Ellis from the Roar podcast, Blue Wire, for prizepicks.com. The most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season is right here at prizepicks.com. You select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. It's easy as that. Testing my skills on prizepicks this football season, it's an exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn 10 bucks into $250 with just a few taps prize picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like taco tuesday each tuesday prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25 percent to provide even more value price picks now offers apple pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this football season this week on pricepicks.com i'm going with our old friend christian mccaffrey he's facing the giants i'm going more than 79 and a half rushing yards for the former panthers back on the other hand Ramondre Stevenson for the Patriots going against the Jets. I'm going less than 50 and a half yards for the New England running back. It's time to get started. Go to prizepicks.com slash roar and use the code roar for your first deposit match of up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash roar. Use the code roar for a first deposit match of up to $100.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely becoming a theme. And, you know, one thing I want to get back to real quickly is, you mentioned it with you know all of these coaches that they've hired um, on the offensive side of the ball. And maybe there's, uh, you know, a saying that there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, do, do you, do you feel that way right now with this offensive coaching staff? Because it, there's certainly, I'm waiting to see where is the identity? Like Frank none. bright praised Thomas Brown for, you know, the touchdown of the Chark, but fair enough. But like, I don't see that happening all game, so I just want to get your thoughts on like
1: right. Too many cooks in the kitchen going on here, like yeah. I mean, look, I don't think there's too many egos in the kitchen. I think they all like each other, they work well together. But anytime you build something like this, and and this is quietly one of the concerns I had as I observed camp, and we got into the preseason games and. That's going to be vanilla, okay. And, you know, when they came out in that Atlanta game, things did look differently structurally to a degree with that offense, and they ran the ball well in that game, effectively. And I thought, if not for the turnovers, that probably was their best schematic game in terms of execution and scheming with not only the pass game, but especially the run game. But it's one thing or another with this. Yeah, there's something to be said for that. Like I said, there's this conversation going on around there by – a lot of fans that are very frustrated and their team has not won in a long time that, you know, the media or, or whoever pumped this up to be more than it was. And I, I think we were very fair on this show. I, I I think my expectations were somewhat more elevated from what we've seen so far. I, I had them maybe right under the wild card race. Uh, but you don't know everything going into a season. You don't anticipate that maybe Tampa might be better than people think. Maybe they win again tonight. Who knows? Uh, New Orleans comes back to the pack, but you know that's obviously because of car going down, and they're better than a lot of people thought. And you and I talked about Arthur Smith all offseason, so don't sleep on Atlanta. But I think there was this misnomer that, okay, you know what? We finally got Rule out of here. Wilkes did a great job, <clears throat> and uh, it was time to really get serious about developing a quarterback. And a lot of people are spending their Sundays, and I'm not going to tell people how to do it, but I, I can't function this way, checking the box score for C.J. Stroud and then checking the division standings. Oh, yeah, when Anthony comes back, checking out Richardson's stats. And then Bryce gets hurt, and, and then there's this just rolling narrative all season of negativity that, oh, well, they've done it again. Fire Scott Fitter, which, look, I told you before the show, I'm not here to be Scott's best friend, but I'm not interested in having a conversation about firing anybody this season. It doesn't do you any good to do that. So we can judge his performance, But right now, that's not going to solve anything. But for damn sure, I look at this as a 24-month project. Okay, so they don't have what they have to have right now in terms of skill players, the weapons for Bryce. They certainly don't have the marriage between the personnel on the offensive line and the schematics they want to run in the passing game, and that was evident from day one when Bryce was getting hit three or four times in his first three or four dropbacks in the preseason. So I don't care who's your quarterback. I was worried for Andy last night, and he's you know six three. He's a big guy. So no, I just I, I don't I don't think
2: it's a quarterback issue
1: right now. It's not I a mean, quarterback. It's not a quarterback issue. But I'm saying again, just hoping that some fans can listen to our podcast and use it as an instructive tool because that's why we're here. That's why we're paid, and we don't want to tell you how to fan. But just ignore some of the noise if that's what you're thinking, because we don't know what's going to happen. And you should wish Stroud all the best, and and Richardson, and. And all these guys, this you want to see them all do well. But Bryce, by no means, has played nearly enough football yet to be judged on anything. These guys, all of them, have a long road ahead of them. And there's going to be bumps in the road. You've got to get them back in the lineup. I agree with your sentiment about it would have been a nice opportunity on the road, hostile environment, but against a secondary that could be manipulated a little bit, against a front that's not quite as good as we've seen. But, um, <clears throat> Minnesota's got an interesting dynamic, too, right now. I don't know if he'll be back for that game, but that's a team that's been giving up points in, in buckets right now. And Brian Flores is obviously a very good coordinator, but we'll see. I just went him back on the field. Um, I respect Andy, and I thought he did a good job. But it's there, there's no way I can tell fans how to feel. It's what I told him today earlier. I feel bad for y'all, man. I, I know it sucks. We've been doing this show for so long, and the expectation was – New staff, a lot of big names. It's going to be great from day one. But your point about too many cooks in the kitchen, I can't confirm that that's the case, <clears throat> but I certainly can't eliminate that as a as one of the causes. In fact, I would suggest that not just having that many cooks in the kitchen, but having to marry all of these different ideas and concepts, and that's just on the offensive side of the ball, together and make it go. Um, I don't know, but what I'm seeing from the run game, Billy, I, I can't get over it. I was stunned when I put on the tape and you've yeah, seen the clip. It comes down to, you know, running the football. It also comes down to mentality. Exactly.
2: Like, you know, Steve Wilkes obviously got it through to the offensive coaching staff, Ben McAdoo, a guy who loves throwing the ball to run the football and establish an identity. Obviously Frank Reich isn't doing that. Like what, what is Deuce Staley doing? Like he's, supposed to be you know the energizer in some ways and he coaches the running backs exactly like, where is this mentality in you know you, you're the same offensive line coach that's why i, I think campman deserves criticism because like you, br- you brought this offensive line coach back you know he's supposed to establish this identity i don't care about these you know post-game meetings that happen in the locker room because you don't play well play well yeah like come on like enough of these meetings and things well, that happen after the fact like they, they should, well, it, should, well.
1: it shouldn't be this big of a drop-off look and I'm trying to uh, to rationalize it and I think there's some real reasoning behind why when you're missing your two starting guards and and look people say well Brady's not that great Corbett is, is pretty mid now, look I think pretty highly of Corbett I know you've got an opinion on him that that speaks pretty highly of him too maybe not to the degree of I, but you both and I both agree he's solid Christians still the incumbent he's a starter he's got experience and continuity to me it's important it would be more important if you're running the same system and all that good stuff as last year but there's a certain kinship and brotherhood and timing element and, and harmony that comes with playing with those guys but as we said last year billy i remember saying this during one of the late december shows like enjoy this while you can this is a rare thing right now where you get five guys playing very well together within a structure and lo and behold there we went with the injuries at the end of the year so it's tough I don't think running out and, and getting more Band-Aids, you know they've done a little bit of that already with some of the veterans they brought in, and I'm fine with that. But I think right now you, you, you just keep getting these young guys in there and make them just deal with it, go through it, and scheme some things up that make more sense. I, I don't know what that is. I'm not a coach. I, I can't give you all the answers. I just know that the run plays they ran yesterday, I didn't see one that looked fluid or smooth or in sync. Or and some didn't even make any sense from just a schematic standpoint. Like I said, there's there's blends of like power and, and zone concepts in a couple of these. You got the, the the short motion there, and then you end up getting the fly motion with with Chennault on some of these, and he's a guy that you know. To Ben's credit, he utilized them. And they're just they're not giving Hubbard any touches. It, it's tough, man. But I think I've I've still got a lot of reason for optimism that there's too many smart people in that building including the quarterback, who I I still believe is the best one out of the bunch for this team, to just give up on it. But I don't want to keep losing. I don't want to see the team continue to get their teeth kicked in. And I certainly don't want to see it at the hands of bad preparation, bad game management. Um, You know, the coaches have got to coach better, and Campin's got to be right there. And look, I I do like James Campin a lot, but that doesn't mean – we can't sit here and say what's going on right now is anywhere close to acceptable. That's not up to his standard. I would hope he'd be the first person to tell you that.
2: Yeah, look, I, and I'm not saying he was, you know, the sole responsibility for yesterday's debacle. I mean, it was certainly a collective loss uh, whenever that happens, um, you know, and uh, again, to your point, um, you yeah, know, this is kind of the tough thing about you know this situation right now because you know w- when you're looking at Owen three um you're looking for reasons for hope and you know the reason for hope for this franchise is a quarterback that he drafted number one overall and he's not playing he's already on the injury list exactly and his status for this week you know it's up in the air and then i, I look at just i don't just look at it at him in isolation i look at like the entire operation and how we're supporting him and how we're supporting the other quarterbacks and again i you know for us to come on this show weekly and um you know i've been very critical of this general manager and i'm going to continue to be very critical of him but like what we're just talking into you know a you know a void if we (laughs) continue to address you know his mishaps on this show every week yes in my opinion, he's has certainly not warranted any type of trust on my end. Others feel differently. That's totally fine. But what I'm not going to do, and I don't, I don't, I think you would agree with me. I don't want to come in here every week and just make it a referendum. Like we know this team, not. it's exhausting. That he put together, yeah. is not playing well, and he deserves plenty of blame. Like you traded up your first round pick, which you don't have this year and looking this is just my opinion by the way this i don't speak for john on this matter but i'm just looking at the rest of the schedule and you know how things <laughs> are currently played out oh yeah it again just my maybe things change oh, but just... um I, I i don't really see a very um optimistic situation moving forward if they play like this that, yeah it wins and
1: losses. if they, it, I, yeah. i'm assuming they're going to get better but if they don't get better they're not going to win another game And for me, and I respect your position that um, that you think it will get
2: better. I have to see it to believe it because right now I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe uh, this team can play better. Like certainly, you know, like let's just go back to that last week eighteen game last year in New Orleans. They didn't play a good game; they played a very terrible game, but they did. They still won. But what I want to see is a game like um, you know Wilkes' first game at home, which was against Tampa, where they just dominated them. That needs to happen. I want to see something like that. That should be happening. Yeah,
1: yeah, or that Detroit game where they dominated a good team. I want to see that. that I mean, gives so who, me... who's, a more, who's a more competent NFL quarterback at this moment, Bryce Young or P.J. Walker? I would say Bryce Young, I just my opinion, less experienced. And again, maybe that's a false equivalency. My point is, in that game you mentioned against Tampa, what worked? Well, they able to pop a few long runs, okay? Well, why did that work? Well, they kept their offensive structure fairly basic and simple in terms of the run concepts and they hit some play action they hit the tight end I'm stunned that that's not something that is getting and again I'm not in the meeting room and I'm not in the quarterback's ear and I, I'm certainly not the quarterback but I am stunned that like Hurst or even Tremble are not getting more looks the bottom line is that's the kind of win you need to have a win is a win but it, it's the burden you bear as an analyst for a team that Drafts the number one overall pick, and that pick all of a sudden comes with the, the the level of scrutiny it comes with in terms of well, he might be a great processor, but is he built for it? And a lot, some fan told me the other day on the radio station, uh, the Fox Sports Upstate. He said, "John, it's just visually, visually like when Newton was here or other teams I've, I've pulled for. I see a guy that I can go to war with because, yeah, all right, you know what? He's built for it." And I I I didn't agree with him. But I get where average fans think, okay, you know what? This guy who's 5'10", 5'11", who's a very good quarterback, a great quarterback in college, he's already on the injured list, and what's there to be excited about? What are we building for? Is he going to come back and throw for 90 yards again? 120 yards? 130 yards? Who's going to protect him? How's he going to be insulated from this? So I, I think Bryce, I went back and just, again, just to refresh my memory, look at the Alabama games against Georgia. Look at the game he had down at LSU, some of the great moments. And you're reminded that, okay, you know what? The tape we did watch during the spring, don't let people like Chris Sims gaslight you into believing all of a sudden it's a case closed. And it's not a competition, by the way. You should wish Stroud all the best and stop humping your own priors. I just want this quarterback to experience a good trajectory. And it's not on him to do that. It's on this staff. And so far, Frank and the guys around him have underserved him in that department. So when he comes back, hopefully they all get back on the same page and Bryce can show some of those flashes he's already shown. He had two bad picks week one, and that's going to happen. It moves fast. I thought there were some good moments on tape, though. Good enough to know that, okay, you know, if the rest of the unit around him can be better in time, if he can learn how to throw in these tight windows that he has to throw in this year, then the answer, I suppose, next year is to upgrade a couple of pieces there at receiver. And they're in a pretty good shape with the cap, although depending on what they're going to do with that edge rusher that we all like, Brian Burns, as well as having to pay Derek Brown at some point, and then Frankie Louvu, So you've got to do a lot of decisions here in terms of that. And as far as Scott goes, when it's bad, it's bad. And and what I've tried to emphasize here is I don't feel, just from people that you and I both trust, talking about this, that Scott had a real strong hand on the decisions that needed to be made with autonomy when Matt was here. Matt's gone, we're done talking about him. So let's see how these moves work. Let's see, and for so far, not great. But let's see moving forward, how, yeah, I mean, how it, they do. It, it, the DJ Johnson trade, we brought that up again today. There's a good example of a guy who's still not on the field, for whatever reason.
2: Yeah, look, I, I'm not going to relegate everything. No, not like, at all. But that, That's not what I'm doing. I'm just nope. telling, th- again, this is just my opinion. I don't think he's done a very good job as general manager. And the stuff that you and i and others criticize marty herney and dave Gettleman for um you know he needs that same energy that's just my opinion on it like everyone has their you know if you feel differently about him um just speaking to you know the audience as a whole uh, you know if anyone feels differently then I don't, I don't you know, they are entitled i'm just you <laughs> I know think my so. own personal
1: yeah. um, opinion is that but you well, know it's a results business and you know this this construction so far has not been great and it's hard to know sometimes okay did he get the wrong pieces for the wrong coach, is is you know I mean could DJ Johnson be starting somewhere else right now or playing somewhere else right now? That's the kind of thing I have to spend a little time think it, thinking uh, about. I, that was an un, that was an unnecessary trade I thought at the time, but well, that's just my analysis. I agree, I agree, but
2: that that's not even like one of the top five worst moves that he's made in my opinion. Like I just think if this situation continues to derail and Chicago is you know has a twenty twenty four like top five pick that speaks. Um, very poorly so on the organization. Let me just as ask you. So
1: you're you're and I look full disclosure here. I I barely know Scott, but yeah, we're friendly. But so is Joe and all the guys that cover the team. So I'm not his friend. I'm the guy who covers him, and he knows that. Um, are you are you speaking of the the trade up to get to number one overall? Is that is that one of your issues you're having right now? Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying personally, it looks bad on the
2: organization when you trade up to number one overall yeah and you're giving chicago a top five pick i think it looks bad on the organization i'm not blaming him for it it's a results-based business as you said yeah yeah i mean when marty herney made that trade for Ar- armani edwards and had to give new england a, the 33rd pick in the draft which was essentially a first rounder, everyone was killing him and that was we but, didn't even have social media back remember, then just, I remember let, me, let me say this Darren yet. Gant, gantt would you know and <laughs> scott fowler back then when they were writing at, at the observer oh yeah they called it out like I just think
1: like we have to be consistent with our. I think we got roasted though, though. But we we were I think of the mindset. Of, I, I'm kind of getting old in my years, but our podcast after that trade happened. Did, were were we not? I think yeah, at they, the time look, we, we, were, uh, we were we were we were fairly honest and direct at the time about how we felt with giving up that much capital. Um, there's always excitement when I you. I was very.
2: I was very. We were, um, we were called. Yeah, that was a very tough uh, situation. Well, we, were,
1: we, we were called out for it, and people, this is where you can't do this equivalency because now, well, DJ dropped the 40-yard pass. Who the hell cares? Within this system, he did great. We're not going to relitigate all of it, but I'm glad we talked it out because the, Scott is the, the guy on social that's going to get a lot of the brunt of this right now from fans, and look, he knows that, and I think everybody knows in this business they're all paid a lot of money to take it. They are humans. They go home to their families, and, and we always keep it cordial here on the show people know that but yeah there's more than enough reason right now to be questioning just about everybody in that building that has their hands in the football operations including those who operate the contracts including those who assist the general manager everybody and they're all yep. good people Both far
2: off, i just think it, it, it it's a cumulative winning. effect when you're when you're 0 and three like yep. and i just think it's a cumulative effect like it just is what it is and that that's just you know how yeah. we'll leave it and it's cool um you know hopefully things get better and I think it will I don't think Minnesota is a very good team but hey who knows I mean you know I was optimistic weeks one and two and uh, they certainly didn't play like it but uh, any final closing
1: thoughts John from you Billy uh, the only advice I can give people right now is just hang the hell in there and I know folks are tired of hearing it I know it's winning time in, in many people's eyes in this fan base it is frustrating what's been happening to the run game the defense collectively has not been four quarters strong at times there have been injuries. Uh, this is par for the course of the NFL season. You look around, every team's dealing with something. So this is where Carolina is. Uh, I still personally have a lot of faith in what they're trying to build there with Frank Reich and the staff. We're going to take a closer examination into that once we get into October. And like anything else, it's going to be graded based on how they look. Look, it's, it's it's right there in front of you, black and white. If the team does well. We will praise them where they've done well. If they're not doing well... We're going to try to dig deep and find ways we would get better. Billy, all I can say is it's been great doing the show with you once again this week, and I can't wait to get into the Vikings tape. want to remind our folks out there listening that we are going to answer your mailbag questions tomorrow. So stay tuned for a bonus episode of the Roar Podcast, where I'll go through each and every one of these questions, even the crazy ones. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're going to go through all of them and, and really just try to give you some insight into how I'm feeling about uh very good questions by the way about the defense the offense and player utilization but yeah looking forward to seeing minnesota they're 0-3 carolina's 0-3 it's the adam thielen revenge game so we'll look forward to that Uh, look for the mailbag q a episode tomorrow and thanks again once again for joining us tonight as we recap another panthers loss to the seattle seahawks Uh, i'm john ellis for billy marshall thanks for listening to blue wires the roar podcast sponsored by price picks we'll see you next time